0: morning, church family. How are we doing this morning? Everybody doing well? I hope you had a very Merry Christmas and a wonderful uh, time celebrating with friends or with family, and we are glad that you are here with us with your church family today. Uh, I want to let you know that we are a community of believers. I hope that's not a surprise to you, but we are a community of believers, and we are so focused on following Jesus that we want to do that by living by faith, advocating for hope, And being known by our love. We believe that that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus and uh, we hope that you join us in that as well in that uh, firm belief in who Christ is. Uh, Dulcinea did mention a second ago that we are in January going to be starting some new Bible classes and some new Bible class topics and we're really excited about that so I just want to make sure uh, uh, that we give you some information because uh, at least Some of you are curious as to what that means and where you'll be going. Uh, But uh, we want to let you know that uh, we have a lot of fantastic Bible classes uh, organized and ready for you. Uh, A couple of our Bible classes have been going uh, for longer than I have been alive and uh, so those are amazing, wonderful Bible classes. One of those Bible classes is the ladies' class, and uh, the ladies' class meets in the first classroom uh, down this hallway. Uh, to my left, your right, and the ladies' class is going to be meeting uh, this next year, and we're excited for what they're going to be doing and uh, hearing about the, the goods. Uh, stories and lessons that they have coming out of their class. Uh, also, we have the Encouragers class, which meets in the library uh, to my right, your left, and uh, Harold and Billy Faye Curtis teach that class as well as Vicki Martin, and uh, they do a phenomenal job. I only ever hear good things about the Encouragers class. So if you've not yet visited the Encouragers class and would like to, uh, are you guys still doing Bible credit? Yeah, they're doing, bi- are y'all doing Bible credit too, Lucille? We got two Bible credits going on. Are y'all in the same place or different places? New Testament? Old Testament. So, if you want a Bible credit course in the New Testament, come to the ladies class, and if you want the Old Testament, come to Harold and Billy Fay's encouragers class that meets in the library. Uh, We also are really excited. Our Covenant and Mango classes are going to be joining together for a couple of weeks uh, starting on January 12th, and they're going to be meeting in the uh, Rotunda uh, across the street in the FLC, and they're going to be uh, examining and analyzing how the gospel shows up in the works of a a musical group called the Avett Brothers. And so if we have any Avett Brother uh, fans, they're gonna be examining and trying to figure out, does the gospel show up in the music of the Avett Brothers? And so uh, that class is gonna be really exciting. They'll be meeting in the rotunda. Our blessings class taught by Mike Young are gonna be in the chapel down the hall, all the way down the hall over here. And uh, you can join uh, Mike and his class and they're gonna continue uh, doing wonderful studies down there. And then I'm excited. Uh, I personally am gonna be teaching a class in the uh, East Wing, uh, so pretty much just directly behind me. And we're going to be looking at some spiritual disciplines and practicing those together. And that's going to be really exciting uh, for me, and I hope uh, for those of you who are able to join me in that class as well. And then one more class that I want to tell you about, and I know this is a lot of information, a lot of classes. We'll send it to you in written form so that you can take your pick and show up to whichever class you would like. But uh, my guess is that this is going to be the class that, uh, that uh, is so exciting and that the most people want to attend because our very own David Griffin, Uh, A world-renowned artist is going to be teaching through Christian art history, as well as giving us an opportunity to paint through the Psalms and things like that. And so he's going to be teaching that class for six weeks, and they're going to meet uh, in the upstairs classroom, uh, one of the upstairs classrooms in the FLC, uh, starting on January the 12th. And so if you are interested in any or all of those, uh, please let us know, and we'll make sure that you find the right place to go, as well as uh, everything that you'll need to, to attend one of those classes. Okay, enough on the announcements, right? That's uh, too much information that I've just given you and you're wondering how am I supposed to remember that. We'll send it to you, don't worry. Uh, at this time, I do want to invite some of our young friends to come and join me on the stage. Uh, they're going to be dismissed here in just a minute to Children's Church, but before they do, uh, we're going to be talking about the story of Jesus today, the story that God has been telling since the beginning, and I want to invite our kids who are ages two years old through second grade uh, to come up and join me on the stage, and we're going to have some time together before they go to Children's Church, and uh, we're going to be talking about story together here, the adults, and so I wanted to invite the kids to come up onto the stage because we're going to talk about story for just a minute with them. And uh, then once we're done, we'll dismiss them and we'll continue on with our time together as a church family. So welcome, kiddos. Good to have you guys here at church with us today. Uh, I want to ask you guys a question before I read you a story. I'm curious to know, uh, do any of you guys have a favorite story that you like to read? What is it, London? David. You like to read about David from the Bible? No. Oh, which David? Oh okay i haven't heard that story so i'll have to come and and hear that story at some point with you and your dad uh and, and I, I look forward to that does anybody else have a favorite story dry you don't you don't like any stories what about pokemon you're wearing a pokemon shirt don't even have a pokemon story. Oh, okay no pokemon stories okay anybody else have a favorite story simone princess. you like princess stories yeah those are fun stories Well, hey, I want to read you guys uh, a story that I loved when I was about your age, and uh, this is a story called Peanut Butter Rhino, okay? And we're going to read this story, and as we read it, I want you guys to imagine what is the lesson that you can learn from this story, okay? So this is a book called Peanut Butter Rhino, and for the adults, I believe, uh, we have the story up on the screen as well. Uh, But this is a story called Peanut Butter Rhino by Vincent Adriani. It says, today is the day that I have lunch with my good friend, Elephant. I'll just check my lunchbox to to make sure I didn't forget anything. Let me see. Mmm, a delicious peanut butter sandwich. An apple, some carrots, and a banana. Okay, everything's here. Squish. Hey, where's my peanut butter sandwich? My sandwich has got to be around here somewhere. Maybe it's under this rock. Monkey, have you seen my peanut butter sandwich? No, I haven't, Rhino, but I will help you look for it. It's not up in this tree. Lion, have you seen my peanut butter sandwich? No, I haven't, Rhino, but I will help you look for it. It's not up in this tree. It's not in this cave. No sandwich in this tree either. Sorry, Rhino, there's no peanut butter sandwich here. Just some old cheese. It's no use. I've lost it. I'll just have to go see Elephant without my most wonderful peanut butter sandwich. Excuse me, Rhino, but why is there a squished peanut butter sandwich on your bottom? Squished? Well, good thing I brought two peanut butter sandwiches, one for me and one for you. Hooray! Yippee! All right, that's the story of Peanut Butter Rhino. It's an amazing story. It was one of my favorite stories when I was you guys' age. Can you uh, imagine? Can you think of any lessons that you might learn from this story about the peanut butter rhino? What do you got, London? Don't make one out your friend. Do what? Don't make one out your friend. Yeah, yeah. Make a make an extra sandwich for your friend. That's a good one. Anybody else? What about uh, maybe trying to help your friends by looking for things when they've lost them? Is that a good is that a good lesson to learn? Yeah. Okay, well, this is just one story, okay, and there's a lot of stories out there. Today, we're going to be talking about the story of what God has been doing through all of of history, Uh, and uh, this story, Peanut Butter Rhino, is a story within that story, Uh, and there's plenty of other stories out there, and so as you guys go to Children's Church today, I hope that you guys will think about the different stories that you like and maybe how those stories fit within the story that God has been telling uh, since the beginning of time. Okay, at this time, we're going to dismiss you guys to go with Miss Shaleen, And you guys are going to go and have a time of worship and uh, get to spend some time singing and and being together as as our young kids. While we adults get to continue our story of talking about the story of Jesus. So uh, I told you that peanut butter rhino was one of my favorite stories growing up. uh, But what I didn't tell you is that it was one of my favorite stories, not just growing up, but still to this day. Uh, Mom, how old uh, was I when you stopped reading this story to me? What do you think? seven or eight uh so uh, that story uh clearly uh is for very young children and i should have advanced uh, beyond peanut butter rhino at age seven or eight but i loved that story and it did teach me a couple of things it taught me uh, just like london said to uh, share uh, so to bring an extra sandwich for a friend Uh, it taught me how to uh, help be helpful and things like that which uh, aren't necessarily exactly spiritual lessons. Uh, But I think that they do help us uh, if they fit within the story of Christianity and the story that we are talking about, the story of Jesus as well. Uh, I I love stories and I love literature. And so today, before we really dive into the text, I want to tell you a couple of other stories that are meaningful to me. And I hope that while I do, you'll think about stories, whether it's books or uh, movies or, or a story from your own life that you actually lived, a story that has been meaningful to you and has helped you to understand something about how to live in this world and how to live with faith. Uh, A couple of stories that I loved growing up, uh, when I was in middle school, I read the story, The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, Still to this day, one of my favorite stories. Anybody uh, read that book, enjoy that book? Uh, Some, uh, a handful in here. I love that book. That book taught me a lot. It taught me uh, that there is a a battle between good and evil out there, as well as it also taught me that greed can be a dangerous thing. Uh, Another story that I really like is the story To Kill a Mockingbird by Lee Harper. Anybody read To Kill a Mockingbird? Yeah, more people have read that book. Uh, Does anybody uh, have any idea a lesson that they learned from the book To Kill a Mockingbird? Does anybody remember? Be loud. Okay, I'll give you mine. Uh, You guys are thinking about it still. We're still trying to wake up this morning. Uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. I learned to stand up for what is right because of that book. And I think that's definitely a lesson that that transfers over very well to the Christian story. Uh, Another couple of stories that I loved and and, uh, read about growing up, uh, one was the book 1984. Uh, Anybody read 1984 by George Orwell? Yeah, pretty good number. Uh, 1984 is a fantastic story. It's one of my favorite stories. And uh, 1984, the main lesson that I learned from 1984 is that Big Brother is always watching. Uh, And that doesn't exactly seem spiritual, except... When you think about today's world, where we have all these opportunities to put ourselves out there online, and uh, if you think about Big Brother is always watching, uh, then you learn to be very careful about what you put online. And I think that definitely has spiritual applications, uh, although they're not necessarily uh, brought up in the book. Uh, But 1984 is a favorite story of mine. Uh, I read in college a book called The Count of Monte Cristo uh, by Alexander Dumas. Anybody read The Count of Monte Cristo? Uh, Yeah, okay, a handful. Uh, I love The Count of Monte Cristo. It's a story about revenge. And ultimately, the lesson at the end is that revenge is not fulfilling. And you have to find something else that is fulfilling in your life because revenge can't be the thing uh, that you center your life around. And I think that definitely has applications within the Christian story as well. Okay, uh, I could go on and on and on about different stories that I've read, and there's hundreds or thousands of stories out there that I've not even read or encountered yet uh, that certainly have applications and have helped teach me something about the way to live in this world, and uh, maybe even something about how God works in this world as well. I hope that there are stories that come to mind for you that remind you uh, of things that you love, of things that have helped change you and, and make you into the person that you are, because I think that when we think about story, I think it's important for us to know that stories have power. Stories have power, don't they? Stories have power. They can help teach you something. They can help lead you to become the kind of person that you are, or they can set you on a path that you don't want to be on. Stories have power. When I think about the the book Peanut Butter Rhino, it's a silly book. It's a children's book, right? But I think about that book, and that book set me on a path from a very young age, right? It could have set me on a path to be selfish, uh, to only take uh, what I want and, and, and never to worry about anybody else, but that book set me on a different path. It helped me to see that helping others is important. Stories have power. Now, we think beyond the story of peanut butter rhino, right? We think about the Christian story. This story has power. It's taken us somewhere. It's captured us. It's captured our hearts. It's captured our motivations. It's causing us to go somewhere. Hopefully, it's causing us to to look more and more like the person of Jesus, because that's what this story is all about. That's what this story is leading us into, because this story has power. The story of Jesus, the story that God has been telling since the beginning of creation, has power. And it's leading us somewhere. And hopefully, it's leading us to look more and more like the person of Jesus. Okay, I know many of you are wondering, when are we going to stop talking about literature? And when are we going to start talking about scripture? And the answer is right now, but also not yet. Uh, Okay, in 1970, which is a very sharp left turn from talking about peanut butter rhino, but in 1970, there was a guy by the name of Brevard Childs, And Brevard Childs was a biblical scholar and a fantastic scholar, and he helped to pioneer a lot of the ways that we read scripture today. But really what he was doing was he was tapping into something that had been going on for all of Christian history, and he helped bring it forward in a way that made sense to us today. And so Brevard Childs in 1970 released a book uh, with the title Biblical Theology in Crisis, which doesn't sound like a very fun book to read if you're me. Maybe it's fun to you. But it doesn't sound like a very fun book to read. Uh, But in this book, he basically uh, advocated for a way of reading scripture that looked at not just the immediate context of any passage, but looking at how that passage fits within the whole story of scripture. And again, this is not something new, but this is something that he was helping people in our day learn how to do and remind ourselves how to do, how to read a passage of scripture with the whole story in mind. He called this canonical approach. And a canonical approach basically means we're gonna look at a passage understanding how it fits within the whole canon. Does that make sense? Uh, hopefully it does. So he, he kind of pioneered this. He helped us understand. He helped remind us that this is uh, something that Christians have done for centuries. And when he released this book, it really helped biblical scholarship to understand how these stories that fit all within Scripture tell a bigger story. Because the story of David is, is a story about uh, this king who lived in a certain time, a certain place, and he did certain things. And so it's a fantastic story, right? The story of King David. But the story of King David matters for more than just his lifetime. Matters for more than just the people who lived at the time that he lived. And we certainly see that when we get to the New Testament. All of a sudden, we have all these comparisons from Jesus to King David. And Jesus is the new King David. He's he's the better version of King David. And, And so it's really important when you read about Jesus that you understand who King David was and what he did. Because King David's story, it exists in his time, in his place, but it matters for more than just that. It exists within a larger story the story that God has been telling since the beginning of creation. And really, if we think about the Bible, if we think about the whole story of Scripture, uh, all of the Bible is doing this, isn't it? Because when you read about uh, somebody like Abram, uh, very early in the book of Genesis, you read about this guy named Abram, and you have to understand Abram's story as you move forward through the text. You have to understand the promises that God gave to Abram. You have to understand that Abram and Sarah were in their old age, and they were promised a child, and, and they didn't think it was possible, but God delivered on that promise. And all of a sudden we learn about this God so that by the time we get to Jesus, we understand because of the story of Abram and Sarah, that God is a God who fulfills his promises. And on and on we could go. We could talk about the judges that exist in the Old Testament. We could talk about the prophets. We could talk about so many different areas. And it's important for us to know how all of these people, how all of these stories fit within the larger story, the story that God has been telling since the beginning of creation. Okay. So with all of that background information, with all those random facts and random stories uh, that come from from our day, from literature, uh, all these stories from the Bible, let's finally get to the passage that we're going to read today. And let's turn over in our Bibles to Romans chapter 9. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, there is there should be one uh, very nearby in the pew in front of you, and you can pick that up. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that one home with you uh, as a gift from us to you, and uh, you can use that to, to read and study and learn. Uh, but uh, we're going to be reading in Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 1 here in just a moment. Uh, if you did pick up one of the pew Bibles, you can look on page 1,758, and that should get you right to where we need to go today. Uh, but this is a story in Romans chapter 9, uh, it's a passage of text, and uh, what— Paul has been doing earlier in this letter is to uh, help the people uh, uh, from the church in Rome understand who they are in light of what God has done for them. And so uh, when Paul writes this letter to the Roman church, he's writing to a group of people that he has never met, which is kind of unusual for Paul. Typically when Paul writes a letter, it's to a church that he himself has planted or that he's visited or that people that he knows. And usually there's all kinds of uh, people that he lists or that he mentions, he greets. Uh, but Romans is not like that because in the book of Romans, uh, Paul has never been there. Uh, he's never met these people. And so he's sending this letter to this church because he wants to come to them. He wants to meet them. He's heard about who they are and what's been going on in their community. And so he's writing to them, never having met them. And he writes this, uh, this great, amazing book uh, called the book of Romans. And in this letter, he's addressing a lot of different things. One of the most important things he's addressing in this letter is how the people— should interact with one another, because the Roman church is made up of Jews and Gentiles, two different ethnic groups, two different religious groups, and uh, they're all trying to come together, trying to understand what it means to worship Jesus, and yet they have all these different backgrounds, they have all these different practices, all these different ways of interacting, and so Paul writes to this group of people he's never met because they have all kinds of problems, and he's trying to help them. He's trying to help them understand the story that God has been telling. At the very end of chapter eight, right before the text that we're gonna read uh, to start uh, our reading today, Paul writes in chapter 8, this amazing passage of scripture, and he ends it by saying that there is nothing, nothing in all the world, nothing in the heavens that can separate us from God's love. And that's important for this group of people to understand and to know because they're trying to figure out how do we live together? How how do we interact with one another? Because we don't know how to do it, and we're not doing a very good job. And he says, uh, well, guess what? There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that has been done. There's nothing that can be done that can separate you from the love of God. But he's going to go on in the passage that we're going to read uh, in this section of chapters 9 through 11 to talk about what it means to be the people of God. Okay, so let's read together in Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Paul says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. As my conscience assures me with the Holy Spirit, I have great sadness and constant pain in my heart. I wish I could be cursed, cut off from Christ, if it helped my brothers and sisters who are my flesh and blood relatives. They are Israelites. The adoption as God's children, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises belong to them. The Jewish ancestors are theirs, and the Messiah descended from those ancestors. He is the one who rules over all things, who is God, and who is blessed forever. Amen. Okay, let's pause here. So Paul starts this uh, section of chapters 9 through 11 by mourning for the, the Jewish people, for the, the, Isra- the descendants of the Israelites. So this Roman church, they're having all kinds of problems. You have Jews and Gentiles. They have different practices, different customs. They have different backgrounds. And they're trying to figure out how are we going to be a community of people together. And Paul writes to them, and he's grieving because one of these groups, it seems, is being cut off from God. In fact, not being cut off, but they are cutting themselves off from God because they're ignoring the story of Jesus or, or they're not sure of the story of Jesus. And so Paul begins to lament for them. He begins to, to wish that things could be different. He begins to wish that they would understand the bigger, larger story that God has been telling. He, he, he mentions a couple of things here in verse 4. Uh, a couple of things that he mentions, he mentions uh, their adoption. And so if we look back into Genesis chapter 12, uh, when God gives the promises to Abram and Sarah, uh, he, he makes a covenant with them. And, and these promises that he gives, it's, it's this adoption that he's choosing that they are going to be his people. And yet the Israelites now at this point in the church of Rome, they don't understand. How can we be the chosen people of God? And yet all these other Gentile people are included in the story now all of a sudden. And so they're struggling with that, they're wrestling with that. And Paul writes not just about their adoption, he also writes about the glory of God. And if we think back to Exodus chapter 34, uh, when God passes in front of Moses, and and, and he can't see God fully because to see the glory of God uh, is too much for Moses to handle. Uh, We think about maybe that passage in Exodus 34. There's plenty of others that we could mention. Uh, He also mentions covenants, which we've touched on. Uh, Covenants are all over the story that God has been telling. Genesis 12, 15, 17, Exodus chapter 20, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. There's covenants everywhere in the Old Testament. God is constantly making promises, making covenants with the people, trying to help them understand how they can live faithfully as God's people. Not only that, he also mentions the giving of the law and uh, New Year's is coming up and so uh, many of you are are selecting a a New Year's resolution and as you select that, one of those might be to read through the Bible and of course, inevitably, you get to the book of Leviticus where it begins talking about the laws that God gives his people and what happens? You can't get through it, right? Well, some of you can. Uh, But some of us, we really struggle with Leviticus because we're wondering, what does all this have to do with anything? Uh, But God gives this law to help them understand how to be the people, uh, how to be his people. And so uh, we, we think about the law. Uh, it also talks about worship. Uh, and basically the whole Bible is, is answering the question of how do you worship God well? How do you worship God faithfully? And so you could look at any passage just about and figure out, okay, this is a passage that helps me to understand how I'm supposed to worship God. Uh, it also talks about the promises, uh, which I've kind of bound those up today uh, with the covenant idea. Uh, and so uh, the co- covenants that we just listed in Genesis, Exodus, and 2 Samuel, and there's plenty others as well, that God is constantly giving promises to his people. Okay, so why do I tell you all these different passages uh, with all these different items that Paul lists? Well, because Paul is using a canonical approach here. He's using a canonical approach, just like Brevard Childs helped us to understand in the 1970s. He's using this canonical approach to say, hey, look at the story that God has been telling. God has been telling this big, grand, amazing, massive story, and you're a part of it. But if you don't understand all these other pieces, how can you possibly understand how to live now? Excuse me. And so Paul writes this lesson, trying to help them understand this whole story, this amazing story that God has been telling since the beginning of time. Okay, let's look one chapter later and let's see what Paul continues to do in chapter 10 because uh, this section, chapters 9 through 11, is a lengthy section and we don't have time to read it all. But Paul is trying to help them understand their place in the overall story. And so in chapter 10, he continues on in verse 1 and he says this. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire is for Israel's salvation. That's my prayer to God for them. I can vouch for them. They are enthusiastic about God. However, it's not informed by knowledge. They don't submit to God's righteousness because they don't understand his righteousness. And they try to establish their own righteousness. Christ, though. Christ is the goal of the law, which leads to righteousness for all who have faith in God. Okay, so we're trying to understand, what is this big story that God has been telling uh, and how do we fit into it? What, what is this story that God's telling? And, and how do we fit into it? And so Paul says here, if you're trying to fit into this grand story that God has, is, has been telling since the beginning of creation, and you're trying to do it on your own, you're missing the point. If you're trying to do it all, all on your own, you're missing the story that God has been telling. You're not actually a part of it the way that you need to be. And so here he encourages them, especially the Jewish people, to look at their story, to look at their history, and to understand how it is that they are part of the story, that God is telling you, not only them, but also how these new Gentile believers are part of the story as well. And so he continues there and he says, notice what he says in verse four, Christ is the goal of the law. So I told you at the very beginning that stories have power and that power can take you somewhere. It can help you learn lessons. It can help you set you on a trajectory or a path. It can help lead you to become the kind of person that you're going to be. And here, Paul is trying to help them see If you're on a trajectory, and if you're on a path, and that path doesn't end with the story of Jesus, you're on the wrong path. You've missed the story that God is telling. And for many of the readers, many of the people that Paul is addressing in this letter, this is revolutionary, this is groundbreaking, this is ground-shaking, and they're, they're trying to understand who is Jesus. And Paul says it's all been leading to him. The law, everything that's contained in it, everything about righteousness, all of this information, everything that our story tells us, it's all leading us to Jesus. So when we think about this big story that God's been telling, when we think about all these different passages and all these different episodes within this larger story that God has been telling, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? Who are we to be today in 2019, almost 2020? Who are we supposed to be as followers of Jesus? Paul continues on. He gives us an answer. He lets us in on the secret. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed at the way that Scripture does this constantly. It does this consistently. Paul continues writing to the Romans, but it's almost like he's writing to us today. And so in chapter 11, Paul continues on, and he continues to tell us, how is it that we are supposed to live? And of course, he's writing to the Romans, but uh, this passage is so good, it's almost like it's exactly meant for us today. So in Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 36, Paul continues writing to them and addressing them, and he talks about Israel, he talks about their salvation. But if we listen closely and if we pay attention, we might learn a lesson that's really important for us today as well. So Romans chapter 11, verse 25, Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware of this secret, brothers and sisters, that way that, uh, that you th- won't think too highly of yourselves. For a part of Israel has become resistant ...until the full number of Gentiles comes in. In this way, all of Israel will be saved. As it's written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodly behavior from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. According to the Gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But according to God's choice, they are loved for the sake of their ancestors. God's gifts and God's calling cannot be taken back. Once you were disobedient to God, but now you have mercy because they were disobedient. In the same way, they have also been disobedient because of the mercy that you received. So now they can receive mercy too. God has locked up all people in disobedience in order to have mercy on all of them. God's riches, wisdom, and knowledge are so deep. They are as mysterious as his judgments, and they are as hard to track as his paths. Who has known the Lord's mind, or who has been his mentor who has has given him a gift and has been paid back by him. All things are from him and through him and for him. May the glory be to him forever. Amen. Okay, so Paul is writing this story to the Jews and Gentiles of the church in Rome. And they have their own disagreements, they have their own difficulties, and they're trying to figure out what it means to be the people of God in their place and time. So what does that story have to do with us? Well, Paul amazingly gives us the answer. He says we need to recognize who we are exactly. Yes, perhaps we have been chosen by God. Certainly when Paul's writing to the Jewish audience there at the church in Rome, they have been chosen by God. They understand their story to be to mean that they have been chosen by God. But they've been disobedient. They've been sinful. They've been selfish. They've missed out on the whole grand story, focusing instead on minor details within the story, to the point where they have missed the heart of who Jesus is and how Jesus connects with this grander, larger, bigger story that God has been telling from the beginning of history. And for us, what does that mean for us? Well, Paul helps us understand that even though we are disobedient, God's mercy comes on us all. God's love and mercy, that's where this story is leading us to. If stories have power, and if that power takes us somewhere, if it sets us on a trajectory to to help us understand who we are and where we fit in the world, then this story, the story of Jesus, helps us to understand that where we're ending up, where this all is headed, is towards the mercy and love of God. And Paul invites the Roman church, just as he invites us today, to enter into that story, to trust that that story is true and meaningful and that it's powerful and that we want to be a part of it. Paul invites them and he invites us. He says, adopt this story because ultimately, this is the only story that's ever been told. All other stories fit within this one story. It's the story of the gospel. It's the story of God's love and mercy, and the way that he is seeking to redeem the creation that has turned its back on him. It's the story of God's redemption of the whole world. Today, if you would like the prayers of godly men and women, uh, our elders are going to gather around the room. They would love to spend some time in prayer with you, and uh, if you have anything going on in your life that you would like prayers for, I encourage you to go and spend some time praying with them. And if you want to join this story, the story that God has been telling since the beginning of time, the story that contains all other stories. I invite you to come and visit with me about baptism. Would you please do that while together we stand and worship?